trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, all right, let's get this underway. It is time once again to revel in wrong think. I am so thankful that of all the different sources of information and all the different voices out there that you chose to spend some time with me today. I'm going to do my best to make it worth your while, and I have a lot of great stuff to share with you in this hour of the show. Our program brought to you in part today by Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. Had a chance to stop in there over the weekend. Wow. Wow, does he have a lot of stuff that came in. Um, several pallets of, uh, of amazing deals. Uh, if you're looking to stock up on hamburger, for instance, hamburger patties, I don't think you're going to find a better price for the foreseeable future. Truly remarkable. Go to Facebook and check out Nikki's Wholesale Food Wholesale Food Warehouse. They'll give you directions and everything. And I'll have more to say about that later on in the show. So as I was out and about over the weekend, there were a couple things that really jumped out at me. One of them was the fact that uh, the big Utah Department of Transportation uh, billboards, you know, the, the marquee boards that they have across the highway that... We'll often warn you, you know, warning, you know, breakdown lane closed ahead or, uh, you know, crashed five miles ahead, whatever. It's, it's very handy, you know, when there's a traffic hazard. But it wasn't traffic hazards that, uh, that were populating a lot of those, uh, those UDOT marquees. Instead, it was slogans about wear the mask. Um, if they don't live in your household, communicate with them online and things like this and it was it's you know part of this this ongoing campaign to uh i i, I want to say you know avoid spreading the coronavirus but really it's an attempt to hide from covid and so the officials in the state of in my home state of Utah have been turning up the heat. They've done this in other areas too. Nevada, I'm sorry, not Nevada. New Mexico just has gone back into lockdown. It's happening in other places. And you probably noticed this. It seems to be intensifying. But here's the second thing that I noticed as I was out and about on Saturday. There are a ton of people out and about. I mean, driving by, you know, the various big box stores, uh, you know, Home Depot, Sam's Club, etc. The places were packed. And it was interesting, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't stop in a ton of different places, but uh, where you do go, it's very clear there's a, I don't know, there's a dark mood that's hanging over people. And I, and I assume it probably has a lot to do with the fact that uh, there's that uncertainty. we got, you know, the election stuff going on um, politically. It's a dark, ugly time. But there's also the, that question of, well, you know, what's going to happen? Are we supposed to just stay away for Thanksgiving? And you are seeing more and more uh, news sources, you know, maintaining the idea that, well, we may just have to give up Thanksgiving. You may want to, you know, avoid having anybody over. And that's not going to fly for a lot of people. Dr. Fauci last week actually came right out and just said, you need to do what you're told. Let me, let me see if I can find the quote here. 
This is from uh, Real Clear Politics, I believe. Yeah. Real Clear, no, Big League Politics. Do what you're told, Dr. Anthony Fauci admonishes as the holiday season approaches. He said, and this is his quote, I was talking with my UK colleagues who are saying the UK is similar to where we are now because each of our countries have that independent spirit. Fauci said, I can understand that, but now is the time to do what you are told. Really? (laughs) I got news for you, Dr. Fauci, and I'm really sorry to have to be the one to break this to you, but uh, people are not going to do what they're told because you don't have the legitimacy that you think you have. And the only way that this can be kept up, of course, is through the continual scaremongering and, you know, the all the various news channels. You notice the, the channels that are uh, essentially paid narrative managers for those who are official, for all officialdom, always maintain, you know, down in one corner of the screen, COVID deaths, cases, and so forth. I think, I think they still focus on the deaths, but it's always the bright red, you know, crisis type uh, little Chiron that's crawling across the screen to to keep you in that state of fear and remind you. Now, don't remember, you got to be scared because this is so dangerous. And, you know, I, I mean, no disrespect to my friends who work in the medical field. I've actually heard from a couple of them over the weekend. And they say, look, yeah, we are seeing, you know, the inter- the intensive care unit beds fill up. But here's what's lacking, at least from from the news media's narrative. You would think, oh my gosh, COVID, it's really, it's kicking in. And why we had a record number of cases, I think last Friday in Utah, 3,900 cases. But there's no context. There's nothing to tell you, you know, whether, how many of those are going to result in hospitalization? How many of them are going to result in deaths? Of those that do result in hospitalization or death, how many of them were unhealthy people to start with? And then there's the matter of, okay, we are in the thick of flu season right now, but you're not seeing anything reported about the the flu numbers, only COVID. My point being simply this. I don't think it's uncommon this time of year for hospital beds to be filling up. Why? Because we're in the thick of cold and flu season. And anyone who's been paying attention understands flu kills and sickens a lot of people every single year. We don't see people running around wearing masks for the flu. No, and that's my point. The risk is there. People go and get a flu vaccine for what it's worth. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, the officials have to wet their finger and stick it up in the breeze. Well, I think this time it's going to be influenza such and such. And that's how they prepare the vaccine. But my point is you go on with life because it's a part of life. And everybody doesn't stay home or try to sequester themselves and, you know, hunker down and just hope for the best. So when Dr. Fauci's saying you do as you're told, I'm sorry, that that to me seems like just a, a, a bit of psychological conditioning. I am in authority. I know what's best. He's not. And, and any expert who claims that they know better for your life than you do, especially when they purport to speak for everybody. Everybody needs to do this. I'm sorry, but they are full of garbage. You are the only person who has the information to make a qualified assessment of what is important, what the risks are, and what your needs are. And don't ever give that up. 
Now, I think Thanksgiving is probably going to go on as normal for a lot of people. The folks I talk to, I mean, there's concerns, and I, I share those concerns myself. In, in, in our household, we are planning on having family from two different states come and visit us. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, we're throwing caution to the wind, but we're just, we're looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, if somebody is showing symptoms, it's probably best they don't come. If someone wants to come, but is feeling like, well, I'm a little bit afraid being around that many people, they are totally free to wear a mask if that's what they prefer. But we'll take responsibility for ourselves, each one of us. And this is not a matter of, you know, just being defiant, okay? We're not waving the Confederate flag in Dr. Fauci's face. Come and get it, man. You know, we're, we're just, we're going to go on living our lives. And yet, uh, I'm, I'm just seeing this, this increase, this ramping up in efforts to try to frighten us into doing what we're told. You've heard me say this many times before, but I want to reiterate. When someone is trying to make you fearful, there's a better than not chance that they are trying to hack your brain. And if they're trying to hack your brain, typically it's, it's for the purpose of making you compliant or pliable in their hands. Don't give in to that stuff. This isn't a matter of simply being contrarian. It's a matter of maintaining perspective on COVID-19. Now, I strongly recommend the American Institute for Economic Research, AIER.org. They have done what I think is possibly the, the most comprehensive um, investigation and, and commenting on covid and no, not all of them are epidemiologists, but here's the thing. You don't have to be the expert. In fact, if you want to find someone who understands things better than you, that's one of the ways you go about learning about things. But you don't just take somebody's you know, word because their name is Dr. Fauci and they're standing there so official before the TV cameras and they're telling you it's time to do as you're told. Now, if Dr. Fauci is your personal physician, yeah, maybe that's something you want to consider. But you and I both know he's not your personal physician, and he's tied to political power. Therefore, authority combined with power seems like a pretty solid recipe for some great mischief on a large scale. Stay skeptical, my friend. <laughs> and you weigh the risks. You decide what's best. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show, my fellow wrong thinker. So how do you maintain perspective in a time where, well, pretty much everything is scary and seems mildly out of control? There's a great piece. This is I actually this got a, this landed in my email inbox this weekend thanks to aier.org. It's from Donald J. Boudreaux, keeping COVID perspective, and I really like this because this is an actual response to uh, to one of his uh, friends who recently lost her father to COVID nineteen, and Donald is is uh, responding to a communication uh, from from this friend. There's a link in the article to her Facebook post. And this is what he says to her. 
He says, I am truly, deeply sorry for your family's, or for you and your family's loss of your father to COVID-19 and for his suffering on account of this awful ailment. He says, for the record, however, what I call COVID derangement syndrome is not the justified fear of and prudent responses to a disease that is undeniably real, painful, and abnormally lethal for the elderly. He says, instead, what I believe is deranged is the failure to put COVID-19 in proper perspective. This failure, alas, is both chronic and calamitous. He says, what I am certain is deranged is the current practice of treating everyone as being vulnerable to COVID, as are the elderly. And he says, and I'm no less certain that the resulting mass hysteria is equally deranged. Yet even more deranged is the trust that so many Americans today put in executive branch officials at all levels of government to exercise unchecked dictatorial powers to respond to this mass COVID hysteria. He says acceptance of this dictatorship is deranged. I'm sorry, I don't know a more descriptive term. And it's deranged to behave as if the risks that COVID poses to kindergartners, to college students, and to healthy young people are indistinguishable from the risks that COVID posed to your elderly father or even poses to him, a 62-year-old. Donald Boudreaux says, I go further. This current derangement is a disgraceful disservice to people such as your father. To treat COVID as an indiscriminate dispenser of death is to diminish, to mask, the uniqueness and significance of the suffering endured by people in your father's demographic by lumping their very real and intense suffering in with the unwarranted emotional overwroughtness of people who were at no real risk from COVID. He says, you are rightly distraught that COVID shortened your father's life. As such, you should be distraught that healthy people Young and people young and vigorous, people who are at no real risk of suffering from COVID, are being misinformed by the media and by politicians that they are likely to be struck down by COVID, as was your father. You should be distraught that these non-victims of COVID are encouraged by institutional lies to believe themselves to be victims comparable to your father. He says, if I were you, these lies would have me incensed. Sincerely, Don. Now, I'll have a link to this in the show notes, which you can access at thebrianhydeshow.com. But I think that is uh, that is such a, a brilliant way to put this. It's not a matter of, well, look, you either embrace the science or you deny it. That is a cheap rhetorical trick. And, and uh, quite frankly, it's the kind of absolutist thinking that unfortunately has backed us or painted us into a corner where everything is, it's either this or it's that. That's being caught on the horns of a false dilemma. And I see nothing in Donald Boudreaux's letter to this Facebook friend that's denying anything that's going on. It's the matter of perspective. And keeping perspective is, is, it's a challenge. Okay, it takes some work, but it's absolutely worth it. By the way, um, there are a number of mental health terms that we see bandied about these days. Um, two of the more common ones, Trump derangement syndrome, COVID derangement syndrome. You, you'll hear these kind of things said quite often. You'll hear mental health terms used to describe usually others who hold a point, opposing points of view. Rather, Jeff Deist recently gave a brilliant speech about our current national psychosis. 
And before you say, oh, well, there's more of that mental health hyperbole, I think it's worth your time to check out what he has to say. And this goes far beyond just COVID. This is the this is a grand demoralization campaign on a number of different fronts. And I think his point is it it's working. It's working for far too many people. So I'm going to give you just a couple of excerpts here. This is from a speech. It's a transcript of a speech given at the Mises Institute's Ron Paul Symposium held November 7th in Angleton, Texas. Jeff Deist says, hey, what a week for our sacred democracy. Wow. You know, it's so sacred that just a few thousand votes in a few states here and there could have turned it from sacred into profane, couldn't it? Real easy, but no. As long as it goes a certain way, it shows the wisdom of the crowd. Now, he says, we're generally told that there are three particular benefits to democracy. And one of these benefits is a peaceful transfer of political power. So that's increasingly being questioned. But he says, Mises wrote about this way back in the 1920s. He said, this is why we need democracy. He wrote it about it again in the 40s in human action. He said, this allows us to change from one government to another without violence. That's largely been true in the 20th century and in the 70-odd years since he wrote that. It's largely been true. But Jeff Deese says, but, the, but two of the other reasons that we're told to revere democracy, he says, I think are not true. And one of them is that it creates a compromise, a sort of down-the-middle policy, so that the far left doesn't get everything it wants, the far right doesn't get everything it wants, but somewhere down the middle, there's a happy compromise. We all get a little bit of what we want. And of course, we see that's not true at all. The whole country's at each other's throats. And what we really have is a sort of bureaucratic and oligarchic overclass and just a bunch of average regular people like us who are unhappy with the results of democracy. So he says, I don't see any great compromises coming from it. And then, of course, probably the worst excuse for democracy is that it represents some sort of consent of the governed. So in a country of 330 million people, that becomes entirely meaningless. And I think we all get that. He says, so I hope that many of you, I don't know, have read Hans Hermann Hoppe's Democracy, The God That Failed. It came out in 2001. He says, if you haven't had a chance to read it, I wish you would. Now, unfortunately, he says, we don't own the rights to that book, meaning the Von Mises Institute, or there'd be a $6 paperback of it. Nonetheless, it's well worth purchasing, well worth reading. There's a PDF online, which may or may not be pirated. Not by us. That's the market, baby. So he says, if you have a chance to look at this book, every chapter reads very well as a standalone chapter. And so he says, I encourage it. There's a great chapter in there disabusing you of conservatism and all of these other things. But the introduction to that book is all about what Hoppy sees as the turning point of World War I, when we went from what we might call the old right, which was a real liberalism rooted in property and self-determination, into mass democracy. And so World War I, Hoppy says, is what changed everything. And it's where we decided that all the benefits of Enlightenment rationalism and the Industrial Revolution would start to fray because we would turn them over into democracy. One thing he points out is that prior to Woodrow Wilson, he says, remember a year ago we were talking about Edward Bernays, who was Woodrow Wilson's propagandist, who came up with the phrase, make the world safe for democracy, prior to Wilson's war and World War I. Most wars, he says, were actually territorial. They were about turf. And so World War I, Hoppy tells us, was the first truly ideological war in human history. 
And that's the result of mass democracy and wanting to impose democracy on other countries, our way of life on other people. So, not coincidentally, Hoppy points out, there were actually far more civilian casualties from starvation and disease than soldier casualties on battlefields in World War I. And he asks, I wonder how many people know that. Did you know it? He says it's not a surprise. This is what happens when you have total wars as opposed to regional or territorial wars. So because of ideology, the ideology of democracy, there couldn't be compromise with the Germans. There could only be total surrender, humiliation, punishment, reparations, and we all know what came a few decades later. We'll come back to this in just a few moments. Stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Once again, welcome back to the show. As we sit here reveling in wrong think, can I ask a small favor? If you find value in the content that I provide in this humble little program, could you please share it with a friend? I'm not asking you to make it go viral, although I wouldn't complain if it did, but just to let people know there are other voices out there that are carrying a message of hope, a message of truth and light, and I mean truth in the sense that I'm, I'm speaking truth the best I can, the best of my understanding, but I don't claim to have you know all knowledge and I don't claim to have all the answers. I just have a very strong desire to see things like private property rights and free markets and personal conscience and personal liberty promoted and protected. That's why I talk about the things I do. I'm sharing some excerpts from Jeff Deist's speech at an event that took place uh, about a week ago, a little more than a week ago in Texas. And he's talking about our national psychosis. And he's giving some excerpts from uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe's book about uh, democracy, the God that failed. And this plays into why our national psychosis is what it is today. And, and ultimately, this, this comes down to there is a, there's a massive demoralization campaign that's being waged against all of us to try to bring us to heal, to make us so discouraged that we're just like, all right, screw it, I give up. We don't have to be convinced. We just, we just have to be ground down and worn down to the point where we're willing to say, I surrender. I'm tired of fighting this. One of the things he points out here is that when it comes to mass democracy, it's all about results. So we think of the marketplace as producing goods and services. Governments produce bads, Hoppy says. They produce bad things in that they take from us and make things worse. So what do we get from democracy in terms of results? This is going to make some people uncomfortable, but here it goes. He says, we get bad politicians, we get bad voters with high time preferences, we get bad policy, war, taxes, regulations, surveillance, cultural degradation, the whole nine yards. But the other thing we get in terms of bads, which the state produces in a democratic system, is the centralization of state power. Hoppe describes how we had thousands upon thousands of city-states and principalities and territories that used to make up Europe. Now today they've turned it into these managerial superstates, like we think of modern Germany, for instance. 
And in the United States, they turned 50 states. You know, we used to say these United States. Well, we didn't, but our grandparents used to say these United States into basically what are glorified federal counties. Shabby, glorified federal counties, I might say. And it also put about 330 million people with wildly diverse interests under the boot of just a few thousand people in Washington, D.C. And sometimes it's even fewer than that. Sometimes it's just five or seven Supreme Court justices. So we think about democracy producing bad results, but he says what Hoppy's book doesn't talk about and what's so fascinating to him is what about process? We think about the results of democracy, but what about the process? Well, guess what? It turns out the process is lousy too. You know, it produces another kind of bads, which which is it takes the form, as we saw this past week, and we certainly saw in 2016, of a national psychosis, this sort of emotional breakdown of people who are so emotionally invested in government and politics and the winner of these elections. And so this kind of division which we're living under is actually another bad result of democracy, but from the process side. Now, he offers some thoughts on, um, you know, the election results. He does think that Biden is likely going to prevail. But he says, here's the thing. The question becomes, what do we do? That's always the question. Always the frustration. And he says, that's what people ask me over and over and over. What should we do? Where do we go? So listen up. Here's his answer. And I think Jeff has, has a marvelous grasp on the realities here. He says, first of all, you have to start with this. Everybody in this room has an advantage when it comes to this national psychosis. Everybody in this room has some natural antibodies, I think, to this whole thing. We've already recovered. We're starting to, we're already immune. We understand and recognize what millions of Americans are just starting to understand. Namely, that it's not just that mass democracy doesn't work, but that it can't work. So we don't have any illusions. That's our benefit. That's our bonus. He says we have a head start, so to speak, on this national psychosis. And I think that's really a form of power, which we all ought to employ in our personal lives and in our emotional well-being. And he shares some excerpts from an essay from Vaclav Havel. Remember him, the Czechoslovakian dissident leader? Also was the first president of the Czech Republic after the Iron Curtain fell in 1989. The essay is called The Power of the Powerless. And some of this is just remarkable. I'm going to let you discover it for yourself. He finishes up with a quote from Havel. And it says, Ideology is a specious way of relating to the world. It offers human beings the illusion of an identity. How many libertarians get their identity from goofy libertarianism? It offers human beings the illusion of an identity, of dignity, and of morality, while making it easier to part with them. It is a veil behind which human beings can hide their own fallen existence, their trivialization, and their adaptation to the status quo. Now, Jeff Deist says, I think that's just an absolutely phenomenal way to put things because I really believe that liberty, in the political sense, is not an ideology which you impose on other people. It's the absence of ideology. It's what happens when you leave people alone, when civil society and marketplaces are allowed to function and flourish. In other words, it doesn't need to be imposed on anyone. It's the state which is called the imposer or which is the imposer. And, of course, it's the national con- natural condition of social cooperation. Mises almost called his book, 
human action, his magnum opus, social cooperation. He says it's the only way you can organize society peacefully. But Jeff Deist says we have no choice, all of us here today, but to recognize that millions of Americans, millions upon millions of Americans, maybe a majority of Americans, simply don't see the world the, we, the way we do. That's a fact. So he says the goal of this national psychosis, which they produce and impose on us every four years, is, of course, demoralization more than anything. And his advice is don't let that happen. You really need to check out the whole speech. By the way, there's a link to the video of the speech. It's about 20 minutes long. Totally worth your time. All right, a couple other things I want to touch on here. Um, Oh, as part of the quest of this program to help create independent thinkers, I'm sharing Paul Rosenberg's latest column on logical fallacies. And this time he is around to fallacy number four, the appeal to authority. It's a very simple fallacy, but it can be tricky to deal with. The idea here being that, look, we need to be more independent thinkers. We're going to be talking in the final segment this hour about how to propaganda-proof yourself, your family. But one of the things you need to be able to do is recognize when someone is using a fallacy like the appeal to authority against you. So here's how that works. Person A will say, XYZ is happening and the world's in great danger because of it. Person B says, now why in the world would I believe XYZ is happening? I see no evidence. Person A says, ha, well the New York Times, the Harvard Review, the Council of Churches, and Scientific Consensus have all said it's happening. Boom, there's your appeal to authority. Here's another one. Person A says, Dr. Jones says we all need to do XYZ or horrible things will happen. Person B says, I read his statement and it misrepresents the data. Person A says, ha, and where did you get your medical degree? See, you're probably recognizing this too. Paul Rosenberg says, this uh, fallacy functions on a mistrust of one's own abilities, at least relative to someone else. Now he says, we'll go through more details as we go, but fundamentally, belief in authority is a disbelief in self. And that's not good for us. More than that, he says authority has been wrong so many times that throwing darts at a dartboard might give us a better rightness percentage. And he uses the example of uh, Vice President Al Gore, who said the Arctic ice cap would be gone by the summer of 2013. If anything, our projection of 2013 for the removal of ice in summer is already too conservative. Well, guess what? Here we are seven years later, the ice is still there. Or maybe you've heard of Thomas Malthus, whose theories are still revered in powerful circles, he taught that humanity would starve itself to death before very long. By the way, that was back in 1798. Now, Paul Rosenberg goes on to uh, talk about the counter-argument to rejecting authority, how the trick works, how we can pick up on whether someone is in a position of authority within a matter of milliseconds. And the thing to keep in mind here, he says, is, look, authority is, is a bad reason to believe anything. We may have a weakness for it, but he says it's still stupid and we should hold that in mind. If you have a choice to make that you haven't had time to analyze properly, then he says, take advice based on ability and intent from someone who's become able to understand better than you and who you think is expressing himself or herself honestly. And then he says, remember that authority plus fear is an assault upon your personhood and you should treat it as an assault. That is really sound advice. Check it out in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I have been dying to talk about this subject, and it's like dessert. I've saved the very best for last here in this hour. I want to talk about how faith in the media is collapsing. And, uh, and I want to give you a very concrete example of, of how that works. Um, I want to play a little clip for you here. Um, I'm sorry, for those of you listening in stereo, this is only going to come in one earpiece, but this is a conversation that took place on CNN. Uh, I know who Brian Stelter is. I don't know who the young lady is that he's talking to, but uh, they are terrified that people are not believing the official narrative. And in particular, they're terrified about some of the social media alternatives. Check out this exchange. He, he seems to like the opinion hosts yeah. like uh, Sean Handy more than the, the actual, like the, the straightforward news. news journalists. Exactly. Yes. And you're tracking other right-wing media outlets. What patterns are you seeing among his voters? Yeah, well, when I refer to a divorce, that's because there are other suitors out there. There are these smaller right-wing channels like Newsmax and One America News that are further to the right than Fox News. And Trump is promoting those channels right now. Newsmax has seen an extraordinary surge in viewership, still a lot lower than CNN or Fox. But this was a channel that had 50,000 viewers before the election, and now sometimes it has half a million viewers. There's clearly an audience out there uh, for a channel that is so far right that they deny Biden is the president-elect, that they promote voter fraud innuendo all day long. And so some Fox fans are going off to other channels instead. And it is possible after Inauguration Day that Trump may do the same, whether he wants to launch a streaming service, host a radio show, or go off to a channel like Newsmax. There continues to be a lot of chatter about what his future media platform might be. Could he end up with a show on Fox News? Well, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but there are definitely other options for this outgoing president, and that's something to really keep an eye on. I think big picture, Pamela, here's the concerning uh, trend line here. People are going more and more into their own echo chambers, more and more into their own bubbles, especially Trump voters. There's this new social media app called Parler getting a lot of attention because conservatives are leaving, saying they're leaving Twitter and Facebook, going off to Parler because they believe Parler is a safer space for them. What we're seeing is even more of a bunker mentality in right wing media. And ultimately, that's not good for the country. No, it's it's not good. It's a threat to democracy um, that these people are in echo chambers and they're getting fed a diet of lies, essentially. Uh, Brian lies. Stelter, that's, that's how what it is. dare yeah. they not believe us? How dare they not do what we tell them? Oh, the 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 horror of it. <laughs> you got to see the video clip. There is a link to it in the show notes. Go to the com. Notes for November 16th. And uh, I don't know what Pamela's last name is, but her and Brian Stelter from CNN are just crazy scared that why people are going somewhere else and they're doing this, their safe space. And Yeah, right. And, you know, it's one thing to dismiss this as, okay, so there's a few crackpots out there looking for, you know, another Alex Jones to tell them what they want to hear. Can I just remind you, there are at least 70 million Trump voters out there who are not happy. And by the way, Fox News is now being spoken of in the same derisive tone as CNN. What do you suppose that means for the future of America? I've got a great article in here from Boyd Cathy about uh, the fall of Fox News from from the, the graces of, of conservatives. He says it happened Saturday morning, November 14th. 
2020, around 8.15 Eastern Standard Time. I'd switched over briefly to catch some national news on the Fox News channel. All of a sudden, I heard and saw Pete Hegseth stop in the middle of the sentence he was reading from his teleprompter. There weren't any substantiated cases of voter fraud in the swing states. In the swing states. And there, as he spoke that line, he interjected, I'm not sure I agree with that script on the teleprompter. Now he says, think of it, a major newscaster on a major television news network all of a sudden halting his narrative to publicly declare that he did not accept the party line. He did not agree with what the news writers had set down authoritatively as gospel for him to say on camera. By the way, Tucker Carlson has really let out on this as well. I think the only reason Fox is keeping him around right now is because he is such a huge draw. But what this is illustrating is that this is why alternative platforms and sources of information are beginning to come to the forefront. And I'm, I find this very exciting, and it's probably because I have helped to uh, to build and launch a couple of these platforms within the last couple of years. The Loving Liberty Radio Network, the Fed by Ravens Media Network, and others. There's so many others that are starting to emerge as little pinpoints of light that are growing brighter and brighter, and as sources of information where people can go to get principled commentary. And I think to to illustrate how this works, last week on the Fed by Ravens Media Network, I had the chance to interview a a policy analyst from Libertas Institute by the name of James Chernowski. We were talking about how if you feel like Facebook and Twitter are not doing the job they should, you should probably consider going over to something like Parler. Now, James shared our little 10-minute segment on Parler. This was last Tuesday. Within an hour, it had gone viral. And I mean like a quarter of a million views. 24 hours later, we had over a million and a half views and a lot of engagement. In, in one day, James Chernowski went from just, you know, a Parler user with 14 followers and, and uh, you know, just a guy who had a Parler account but really hadn't done much with it, to he is, he's got the equivalent of the blue check mark from Twitter, from Parler. He's considered an influencer, all because of one post that went viral. By the way, he's a really sharp guy. He really has a great take on things. But I think that illustrates that there are people who are legitimately hungry for good information. What an honor to be a part of that effort. And I think you're only going to see it grow in the days ahead. And this is why I'm asking you, if you find value in what you're hearing on this program, I would encourage you, first of all, let people know where they can find it. And secondly, consider lending your support. I don't care if it's a dollar a month, if it's $5 a month. Consider lending some support this way so that we can keep doing this. Now, Annie Holmquist, writing for intellectualtakeout.org, also has a fascinating piece on fighting propaganda one family at a time. And I think the key to maintaining our mental and spiritual freedom is going to be uh, the product of becoming as propaganda-proof as we possibly can. This is something I've written about before. If I have time, maybe in, in the other hour of my show, I'll share this. But Annie talks about how many years ago her family was partway through dinner on a Monday night when there was a knock on the door. Answering it, her father found, to his great surprise, one of the gubernatorial candidates for their state. 
Now, this candidate was locked in a close primary battle and discovering he had some extra time between meetings, decided he would stop at their house to drum up support since every member of their household was a delegate or an alternate to the state convention. She says her father said, oh, hi, as he welcomed the candidate in the door. We were just talking about you and wondering which candidate we should support at the convention. You were, came the candidate's incredulous supply, reply, rather, amazed at the coincidental timing, but even more astounded that a family would sit down and discuss politics at the dinner table. She says the candidate's surprise over our dinnertime political discussions, she realized recently, signals one of America's main problems. Namely, we got into our current mess, riots, contested elections, corrupt leadership and all, because political and cultural discussions aren't happening at the most basic level of government, the nuclear family. Today's children are growing up, she says, besieged by innumerable political voices. Media, teachers, friends, and educational materials all cry out, encouraging them to be woke, to embrace multiculturalism, to shun religion, and cancel those who swim against the trends of political correctness. She says parents who don't accept woke propaganda fight an uphill battle in ensuring their viewpoints are passed along to their own children. How can we teach children to think outside the box and embrace the values of faith, family, and freedoms that all Americans once accepted as givens? And she says a similar question is raised by Cleon Skousen in his book, The Naked Communist. Skousen declares it's up to average individuals living and working in average places to fight these propaganda battles. He says the war between freedom and slavery is not just a fight to be waged by congressmen, presidents, soldiers, and diplomats. Fighting communism, socialism, and the subversion of constitutional government is everybody's job. And working for the expansion of freedom is everybody's job. It's a basic American principle that each individual knows better than anyone else what he can do to help once he has become informed. No citizen will have to go far from his home to find a faltering battle line which needs his aid. Skousen said communist influences are gnawing away everywhere and thousands of confused citizens often aid and abet them by operating in a vacuum of their own ignorance. The task is therefore to become informed and then move out for action. I know this is uncomfortable because it puts the responsibility squarely in your lap and my lap, but that is where the greatest amount of good is going to take place. We become informed, we get involved in civic events, and we talk to the people around us. Annie Holmquist says, now is not the time to throw in the towel. Now is the time to fight for our country through winning the heart and soul of America, one child at a time. That means it's going to start right there in the walls of your own home. This is really good advice. This is The Brian Hyde Show.